Welcome to Mundaria Legends. I am your host and narrator, Michael Stone. Thanks again to all our listeners who have suggested these amazing characters to write these stories about. If you have a character idea and want to see it come to life in a fantasy series quickly getting worldwide attention, go to MundariaLegends.com, leave a comment, or see other ways of getting in touch with me in the episode description. Remember, if you like what you are hearing, there's three easy things you can do to help ensure we can keep going. First, like, subscribe, leave comments and ratings. What takes just a few seconds for you makes a huge difference to others who may want to listen to fantasy narratives like this. Second, if you want to directly help support the costs of producing this podcast, you can go to patreon.com and subscribe to our podcast there. For as little as $3, you can ensure you'll have access to ad-free versions of the show. Finally, you can tell another friend about this show because half the fun of hearing a great story is getting the chance to talk about it with a friend. Now, we return to our story with a character named Tzalost, suggested by Gary from the state of Utah. And without further ado, it is time for Episode 4, Motives, Means, and Opportunities. Some time after having spoke with Messiox, Zeru found himself in the medical tents, tending to his human patients. As he went about his routine, he listened and waited. Then it came, a distant roar, followed by a Maieli army shouting in exultation. Even the patient Zeru was treating smiled and sighed, as if listening to a lover's serenade. Zeru signaled a nearby healer to take over for a moment. As he walked to the top of a small hill nearby, he looked out towards the wide battlefield where so many had already lost their lives in his carefully engineered conflict. The glow of dragonfire reflected in Zeru's eyes as he saw the creature fly over the ranks of the draconids, raking up new prey and sowing chaos as her lethal breath glanced out towards their beloved city. It was firmly entrenched against the side of the mountain, with impressive buttresses holding up massive walls and towers ascending towards the central keep, where the old healer had worked just the night before. For now, it held. The dragon fire focused on those who guarded the walls in the city as opposed to the structures themselves. Seeing Messiox more than adequately contributing to the other side's body count for the day, Zeru smiled. The beast had understood her message well, if the zeal with which she killed today was any indication. As Zeru walked back to the wounded, he breathed easily, certain that all was well. After having satisfactorily engorged herself on Crucian soldiers once again, both human and draconid, Messiox flew back towards the sea, but made sure to keep an eye out for the small collection of colorful tents where the order was encamped. Messiox's powerful eyes saw clearly a few of its members milling about, preparing the day's lunch. She saw an orc, a dwarf, a few humans, an elf, and there she was, the avian. Aeltha, she was called. Messiox smiled cruelly thanking Zeru for his foolhardy mistake of allowing such a prize to be placed so close within her claws. Certainly, Messiox would need to be careful. Taking down a blade hand would be no small feat. 
But she resolved to let the elf calculate and plot all he wanted to. For when the opportunity presented itself, Messiox would strike, suddenly and without warning. She would be the first dragon in all the history of Mundaria to seize the blade, and with its might, force Zeru to finally and truly heal her, and at last bring an end to all the loathsome, misbegotten half-breeds called Draconids. And she would begin with their insufferable archchief, the bane of her existence, Celost. It wasn't good for Archchief Tzalost to look, she knew. The draconid woman who ruled Cruz had seen too much violence during the last several months, and what little sleep she could get was drowned in the images that had already been burned into her eyes. But somehow, the thought of ignoring the battlefield below her felt like it would be a betrayal to her people. The soldiers, both human and draconid, who fought to defend Stradtrix, had to be seen Perhaps this was better for rulers at war, to not sleep any more comfortably than your soldiers. When Salast kept being told she was too ill, too handicapped to fight, perhaps she could at least let them and herself know that she cared. Would that be enough? she wondered. Is it more selfish of me to stay back and watch behind the safety of these walls? Or... Am I selfish for wanting to be seen among my troops, pretending that my sickness doesn't exist? Most of the fighting was taking place some distance from Stradtrix. The black and gray stoned city had a respectable wall around it, but its true defense lay in the moat of lava that circled the city. It wasn't especially large or deep, but it provided an easy source of power for the city's pyromancers to defend their homes with. Normally, Pyromancers could create their own fire with which to fight, but in this way, even the least skilled of the pyromancers could use molten projectiles as Zradka did. Today, however, the fighting was far from the moat. Zalost could not see the individual soldiers as well as she would have preferred. There were only occasional blasts of fire from a pyromancer to illuminate any faces that could have been seen there, and the sound of the clamor of hundreds of swords and shields clinging away their owner's desperate struggle to kill or be killed. Hydromancy was tougher to spot from this distance, but many of the warriors who filled the treatment wards in Stradtrix bore bounteous evidence that they were out there. Even now, she knew that many of her people at the front lines were being suffocated by hydromancers as they willed water to choke away what often became their last breaths. A draconid's voice called out to her from the hallway beyond the balcony where she stood watching the war. Archchief, the healer Athron wishes to inform you that Zradka will be waking soon. At last. And it was on one of Zalost's healthiest days though it of course coincided with when many of her blue scales had already fallen off because of her illness. It would be days before she'd regrow them and look more the sister of Zradka that she wanted to be. Zalost closed her periwinkle blue eyes, readying herself for what would be a difficult conversation. 
especially as she wasn't sure what she wanted to do was the right thing to do yet. Good. I will head there immediately, Celeste acknowledged. As Celeste turned and entered the massive storied halls of Stradtrix, carved into the side of Mount Ruren, she ran her fingers along the carved dull crimson bricks. Memories of happier times. A young girl riding on the back of her adoptive father, flying through the hallway as they both laughed without a care in the world. Zradka, pointing out the paintings on the wall, teaching Celeste of the great archchiefs of old. If the Maieli had their way, these stones and those memories would be washed away forever. And yet, Celeste told herself, Prince Kyral is not like them. He has shown the Draconids honor. And if he was successful, he would also give them a future. Coming to another large entryway in the hall, Celeste turned and entered the personal chambers of Zradka. It was a perfect reflection of who Zradka was. All around the chamber there were weapons of her ancestors, maces, axes, and swords, all forged in the traditional style of the Draconids. Perhaps brutal and cumbersome to an outsider's perspective, but, to Tzalost, they were tender, heartfelt expressions of devotion to family and integrity. Zradka lay on a bed of stone, typical of Draconids, who preferred thermal contact with the gentle warmth of the mountain's volcanic rock as they slept. The middle-aged healer, Athrin, was standing by the wall at the head of Zradka's bed, monitoring her progress as the scarlet-scaled fighter stirred gently. "'She should wake very soon, Archchief. She won't be able to move around much when she does, so if you could help tell her that, I'd appreciate it,' Athrin informed Salast. "'Thank you, Athrin. I'm so grateful that you were able to help her survive that dreadful wound.' Salast looked away from Zradka, focusing her attention fully on the healer for a moment. Do you think there's any way you could duplicate your success with our other soldiers with similar wounds? She's not the first Draconid to have a wing joint mutilated like this. Athrin momentarily looked down, and then back up at the Archchief. I can try to provide some training to the other healers on my technique, but uh, I really shouldn't take all the credit for this miracle. Zradka really has pulled a lot of the weight herself in getting better. Salas looked back at her sister. She always has been a fighter. I suppose I shouldn't be surprised that she, of all of us, could have gotten out of that duel alive. And as the archchief finished speaking, she saw her sister begin to flit her eyelids open. Zradka was still clearly exhausted. Where once Celeste would have expected her to thrash herself awake, she could have sworn that her sister was still sleeping, had a blindfold been placed over her eyes. Zradka only barely moved her head as she turned from left to right. The dragon had found Celeste's eyes and smiled. Archchief, she weakly called. Celeste answered, I am here, Zradka and she knelt by Zradka and held her hand. The warrior seemed to waken only a little more slightly, her eyes opening more fully, and a movement from her head and neck as she tried to get up. Don't get up, please. You still have much of your strength left to recover, 
pleaded Celeste. Gently nodding her head in understanding, Zradka rested back in her bed. That she did not argue further or protest at having to stay still any longer was a remarkable testament to the true damage that had been inflicted on her, Salast thought. The senator, is she? inquired Zradka. Salast gently shook her head. She is alive, from what we can tell. She stood up, turned around, and sat in a nearby chair. Zradka's eyes hung heavy with regret. Then I have failed. The war still continues. Tsalas looked down. Yes. Zradka looked at her right shoulder, inspecting the newly formed scar there. The spear. I remember that Loella's spear. It ripped, rended my shoulder asunder. Zradka again adopted a mournful expression. I thought I was finally being taken home to Ruren's heart. Why, how, how do I live? Did Athrun save me? Salast again nodded. We are fortunate to have someone of his skill amongst us, she acknowledged, looking back up at the white-robed healer. Atherin gave a simple smile in return. It is my responsibility to ensure the safety of both of you. Nothing more, nothing less. He paused, a concern playing at the corners of his mouth. I only wish I could have as ready a solution for your malady, Archchief. Salast turned to Atherin, shaking her head with a not-right-now look. Zradka then focused her attention on the healer as well. How long until I can rise again? What might I do to once again help defend my people? Athrin's face clouded over with uncertainty. It could be quite some time before you can walk again, let alone fly, Zradka. Your body has undergone quite a remarkable, uh, well, change of sorts. The tissues we had to regrow in your second heart are... Essentially new, so to speak. It will take time for your body to adjust to this new heart. I expect you will need to rest soon again. Though, don't worry, I don't expect you to be out for more than a few hours this time around, the healer kindly added. Zradka closed her eyes. Very well. Please, healer, if you can leave my chamber for a moment. Athrin bowed and quickly made his way out. Zradka looked at Salas with a tired but knowing look. The tidal dragon. How bad was the last attack? Salas gave a worried look to Zradka. Seventy-two dead, including eighteen pyromancers. Two hundred more wounded. Zradka closed her eyes again, the ill news souring her expression. I had hoped to prevent it. I had hoped that duel would end it. But I was wrong. I have failed you, Archchief. Salast shook her head angrily. No, you do not have that right. 
You cannot sit there with the wound you have and tell me that this is your fault. You did most certainly not fail. You came back. Had I thought that the senator was such a capable wielder, I would never have sanctioned it. Not moving her gaze from her adoptive sister, Celost succeeded in holding back tears, but only just. It is I who failed you, Zradka. I put your life on the line because I wanted an easy way out of this war, and the senator's request had just come at the right time, it seemed. Zradka slowly raised her left hand and grasped her sister's. There is nothing more you could have done, Archchief. Celast stood, as if jolted by an electric shock from Zradka. No, you don't understand. You can't be this selfless and good, Zradka. Please, for once, can't you be a little more selfish? There is more I can do, and we both know it. Zradka looked on at her sister tenderly. Archchief... You are part of my bond scales, my family. All the war that sings in my heart, every merfolk I slay and every Maeli I destroy is my most sacred prayer to the Dayan that you be safe. Salast shook her head, again struggling to hold back her own tears. She may have been uncertain of her decision before, but she couldn't see Zradka like this. But only because of that shameful, wretched prophecy. Deaths, I take it. Look at what it has done to you, to our family, Zradka. Our father, your father, was obsessed with it. He took me in, a pathetic orphan with not a drop of royal blood, and anointed me to lead this people instead of you. How can you be so infuriatingly oblivious to that insult? Zradka looked back, away from Zalost, hiding her face. It was no insult. Fate willed you into our family. Such was the instruction of the prophecy. Zalost was nearly screaming, shaking with a tired hurt she had been cradling in her heart. It's a piece of paper, Zradka. Honestly, how can you believe it? My sickness every month, my scales shedding, my talons shortening, only to have everything grow back as I lose my memory and then fall helpless into a coma? This, this is just some plague mancer's handiwork. It is just some illness I contracted. It has to be. It has nothing to do with the tidal dragon. The prophecy can spout whatever nonsense it wants to about my strength being robbed by that murderous, craven beast every month. But the facts simply don't line up. Even if the title dragon had such power, she would need to infiltrate the most heavily defended dragon hunter stronghold in the world to do so. There is no magic. No god shard in Mundaria that can do anything like what this so-called prophecy describes. Zradka tilted her head and began to open her mouth as if to speak. Salast stopped her, 
refusing to let even her dearest friend in the world prevent her from letting out the hurt and doubt she had been harboring. No, Zradka, you must listen to me. You know as well as I that these prophecies from the Cthulhu have to be held with the greatest skepticism. They are too rich, too powerful, and too well connected for us to not at least ask the question where these prophecies of theirs came from. By the day in Zradka, they are sea dwellers. How can you be so certain that this prophecy isn't a Maeli trick, a plot to advance their interests in this war? Celost wept, breaking down and sitting back in the chair where she had just been moments before. How can you let a piece of paper tell you that I am worth protecting? How can you let some arbitrary fate trick you into thinking that I am family? Zradka shook her head. I know it isn't a trick, Salast. It has proven true too many times for coincidence. And... Zradka again reached for Tsalost's hand, beckoning to her to join her. Tsalost paused but then relented, stepping towards Zradka's bed and holding her sister's hand once again. Prophecy or not, I know it in my heart that you are family, Tsalost, not because my father told me so when I was but a hatchling, when we found you in the ruins of that village. Not because a Cthulhu, or a king, or a paper, or a prophecy told me so. Salast gazed at her sister as she clasped both her hands around Zradka's left hand, her sobbing slowing. Zradka returned her sister's gaze. Family is not something any prophecy, a king, or even you or I can choose. Family is who your heart chooses to love. And you, sister, conquered my heart long ago, not with fire or steel, but because of who you are. Though your illness prevents me from always being by your side as much as I would prefer, it is my heart that tells me you are truly family. It is my heart that has been warmed by the blazing fire of honor in your heart, Celast. It is my heart that chose you to be my family. That is why you are my arch-chief, my sister. Salast felt like she should yell, should scream at Zradka for her devotion. But that is not what her heart wanted to do. She collapsed, clinging all the more fiercely to her sister's hand. After the tears had subsided, Salast again stood at Zradka's bedside, having found her voice again. Zradka, anything I know about honor has come from you and father. I hope you know that. Zradka again smiled, blinking slowly, 
Zalast knew she couldn't keep her sister long, and that she had likely pushed the limits of Zradka's stamina with her outburst. She would need to explain and quickly. Her decision had finally been made, and Zradka had to understand why. And that is why I have to go out there. I need to fight. Zradka looked at her sister, drifting, but visibly worried. No, Zalast, please. Zalast shook her head once more, but with a calm resolution this time. Zradka, even if the prophecy is true, I cannot ignore what my heart has already chosen to do. No more than you can change what your heart has chosen to feel. Besides, that last line of the prophecy states that if I choose to fight in this war myself, that I shall be the one brought to ruin, whatever that may mean. But even if I fall, which I do not intend or expect to, then the tidal dragon won't be able to rob my strength and send me into a coma. Our forces will be free from her tyranny, and Stradrix will not have lost the last capable leader of its people. Salas leaned more closely towards Zradka, ensuring that she was listening and understood this most important point. Tell me, if you were in my position, could you live with yourself if you weren't out there, fighting alongside your other brothers and sisters? The look of pained understanding on Zradka's face was all that Salast needed. Her draconid sister knew too well, as she did, what the answer to that question had to be. Still, Zradka seemed concerned. I have lost so much already, Zalast. Zalast nodded somberly. Quietly, she whispered, I know, but we must trust that Prince Kyral's efforts will succeed. Remember it. This is only a self-dubbed prophecy. I still believe we can regain everything that we have lost. We will make our own fate. And what of your malady? You won't be able to fight for long if you begin forgetting where you are in the middle of battle, Zradka countered. Celeste explained, I do gain some strength as it goes, and my memory will last long enough to let me make a difference. I only need a few days. What little fight had apparently been in Zradka left. She reclined in her bed, her eyes closing as she conceded. I see there's no stopping you. Go, Celeste. You have a true warrior's heart. And that is one thing that can never be denied. Neither do I doubt your skill, as experience has taught me the folly of underestimating you in our sparring matches. At this, Zradka gave a soft, small chuckle, doubtless savoring the memory. Even Salast gave a small smile. Zradka continued, sighing, I am certain that you will make many of the invaders weep. Before you are done, sister, may Ruren's light be at your back. And with that, 
Zradka rested her eyes. Salast walked out of the room, even more resolved than she had been before. For the first time in ages, she felt her purpose was clear. She would fight. She would lead. Not because she needed to know she was accepted, but because she had a sister she couldn't and wouldn't let down. Athrin came into the room moments later, having ensured that Celost was well on her way in the opposite direction. He closed the doors, locking them. He had to make sure that no one else could interrupt him. He approached Zradka's bed slowly. He bent down and whispered, We are clear. She is gone. Zradka opened her eyes fully. Any signs of her previous apparent exhaustion gone. Finally, she exclaimed, relieved that she could finally be herself. I wasn't sure how much more of that self-righteous prattle I could bear or invent. Atherin ignored Zradka's complaining. He had to ensure Zradka had completed her mission. Were you successful? She has been most undecided for the past several days. Zradka sat up, stretching and relaxing her arms and wings. Yes, it is really quite simple with her. All I had to do was play the part of wounded soldier, appeal to her pathetic sentimentality, and she couldn't help herself. I doubt anyone could talk her out of fighting now. Prophecy or no prophecy. Atherin smiled. No hitches. Zeru would be pleased. Good work. Now all we have to do is wait. Zradka flashed a dangerous look at Atherin. You couldn't convince her that you were going to heal me up more quickly? I have waited long enough as it is. My whips are thirsty for my Ellie blood. Atherin shook his head. Our instructions are clear. You need to remain incapacitated for this ruse to work. As long as Salas believes you to be suffering, she won't feel any inclination to withdraw. She will expend herself on the battlefield and fight to the last. And as long as you are here... You have the perfect alibi. Zradka gave a disapproving grunt. Atherin couldn't fault her. While her acclamation to the new heart had taken a few days, waiting for Tzalost's more reasonable, less forgetful state of mind while playing the part of a comatose warrior for any observers or well-wishers wasn't exactly the most draconid way to while away one's time. Probably didn't involve enough bone-breaking for a brute like Zradka. So it was with some understanding that Atherin tried to remind Zradka. Remember, there will be plenty of killing to do once the Archchief is dead, and you take your rightful place in the throne. You only need to continue to play your part. Zradka huffed. You don't need to patronize me, little human. I have played this part, as you call it, for many years, and know it too well. My only regret 
is that I won't be the one to wring my so-called sister's pretty little neck myself when the time comes. What a temper, thought Athrin. Just be sure to contain that anger for now, Draconid. It would not be honorable. Zradka jumped from her bed, flying straight to Athrin, her face inches away from his as she stared him down, slowly walking forward as Athrin, now thoroughly startled, backtracked. Do you really think that I am concerned with honor, you pest? I have long since abandoned the sad, self-mutilating traditions of my demented father. Ever since his honor compelled him to allow his guilt over the massacre of that forgettable village and an insignificant prophecy to let that rat of an orphan exceed to the throne ahead of me, I have seen that honor that so many of my people idiotically trip over themselves in pursuit of is a trap for the weak. When we war with monsters like the Maeli, to whom honor is but an empty joke, we cannot sever our wings with our own empty traditions. In this war, where the Maeli have already taken away everything from us, I cannot allow pathetic notions of decency or sentiment stop me from having vengeance. Not when I am the only one in my family who truly sees what the Maeli did to us at Dreo's Isle. Athrun felt the wall hit his back. Zradka stopped walking forward, her demon-like face and its scarlet scales catching the torchlight in the room as she concluded. So, before you begin telling me what is honorable or not, little man, remember that the only honor that matters to me is the honor of victory. And when the last and that scut, Senator Loella, lay dead on the ground, along with every last Maeli invader on our shores, I will have all the honor I care to receive. Athrun finally managed a leer of his own. Just be sure to remember that I am assigned to help facilitate your ascension to the throne, Attempting to intimidate me like this won't help you be rid of Tsalast any sooner. Nor will any further unsanctioned duels. Our instructions still stand. You must wait, Zradka. Zradka stood for a moment, sizing up Athrun. Very well. But when Tsalast is finally dead... I don't want to hear from you or whoever you represent again. I have played your games for far too long as it is. Or it will be your mangled bones I also crush beneath my feet when I have my victory, healer.
Athrun gave a small bow of his head, hoping that would be enough to appease the draconid. Zradka turned, walking to her bed. Now, allow me to retire to bed. I apparently need to get some more rest, Zradka snarled. And, after ensuring that Zradka was back in place, Athrun left the room, somewhat shaken, but nevertheless optimistic for the future. Though he didn't understand all of Zeru's instructions to him at times, and though he was never told everything about the overall design, he knew enough to know that finally, after these long months of war, that the true masterwork of Zeru's machinations was about to be revealed. Prince Kyral saw her again as he slept. The yellow-orange fins, the bracelets and linen, the laughing, mocking voice, telling him to grow up, to accept the world for what it was, telling him that nothing he did mattered, that he didn't matter. Prince Kyral awoke with a start. His head lay sideways on a slab of rock, scrolls and books strewn about it. His dream. Her. She was so vivid this time. The memory wasn't going away. As was common for the prince, it took him some moments to orient himself and remember why it was he was in the large bath chamber he was in. It could probably fit two or three whales, had there not been the massive columns sprouting up from the bottom of the bath pool he was in. The stone was a dull crimson, very different than what he was used to at home. Home. He wasn't home. This was Stradtrix. Then, with another start, he remembered. The beakers! Where were they? He looked around, away from the edge of the bath pool where he had been resting his head. And there they were, all lined up in a rack, the small fire underneath them having gone out. The solution in all of the beakers! It was clear. At least the water hadn't completely boiled away while he was out. He grabbed each one carefully, shaking it. Yes, there were no precipitates. Now for the real test. He took the first beaker and drank it. Too bitter. With a gag, he spat out the water and moved to the next one. Even more bitter than the last. Again, spewing the second beaker's contents onto the stone floor at the edge of the pool, he tried the next three beakers. The third didn't taste like he had done anything at all with it. The fourth and fifth were not even close. Both were, strangely enough, somewhat tangy. His red and blue fins drooped. Not again. Closing his soft yellow eyes, he felt another wave of grief wash over him. Back to square one, all over again. Echoes of his nightmare came back to him. But this had to matter. This would be the first real step to making a difference, not just for the Draconids, but for the Maieli. He had to fix what had happened, no matter what. He was out of time. His people were attacking, he knew, and knowing them, he was certain they'd find what he was doing a complete waste of time, perhaps even treasonous. The prince gathered his notes again, looking for what he must have missed, what had gone wrong this time. The answer was here, somewhere right in front of him. He just had to be better, had to think smarter, harder. 
before the rest of the Draconids found out and began a real war, before the Maieli found him and sealed their coming doom, and before Loella found out that her husband was an accessory to genocide. Thank you so much for listening. Remember to like, subscribe, and leave a rating for us to let us know what you liked in this episode. You can also support us on Patreon.com. Just look for Mundaria Legends or use the link in the description. And remember, one of the simplest, easiest ways you can support us is simply by letting a friend know about the show. Thank you again so much for listening, especially as we just get started. Stay safe and remember... You can't see the hero if you don't know the monster.